I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, this is Dave Kittle. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I am the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all their practice in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have a awesome guest on the show, Christine McDaniel. She is the founder of the Magnolia Firm, international digitally focused M&A and business brokerage firm. We're going to get into all of that as she is an intermediary to help businesses on the buy and sell side. We're going to get into all of that. You can check out the magnoliafirm.co online, the magnoliafirm.co. We'll get into all of it. Christine, welcome on. How are you? Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm doing great. Excited for the interview. Excellent. Great to connect. Uh, we got connected on LinkedIn and I saw at least one or two of your other interviews and I heard your background. So I was like, I have to reach out and, and get you on here. What's like a brief background? You've done a ton of things. You were saying in the pre-interview, you had a fairly sizable wellness practice with massage and a whole bunch of other services, green juice cleanse or green juice before it was popular, scaled it in five years, exited that. Now you help other businesses and business owners on the uh, the transition side as an intermediary. So let's get into a little bit of your background and then maybe we can just define some terms in regards to like intermediary versus broker versus advisor and get some of those definitions out. But first, let's hear a little bit more about your background and what got you here. Yeah, so 19 years already in the game of entrepreneurship. Now I'm dating myself, but it's it, I started young, of course. I've done 10 startups from scratch and then I've done an additional like 10 whether it's acquisitions roll up into the spa, bought and sold, flipped a couple spas during COVID very quickly. So yeah, about 20 transactions of my own under my belt. I only used a broker on the first deal. And then I just did all my own deals. The spa was the biggest exit. So 2012 started, exited 2017, did the entire transaction, full price, five weeks to, to, to find a buyer three and a half months to close because it was SBA loan, but that was fun. And so, yeah, every, the brokers I talked to said, you'll never sell for that. You'll get about half that. It might not even sell. So which is interesting. That wasn't the case. So yeah, my background, I mean, I eat, sleep, breathe business. I love it. Ever since I was a little kid, you know, I, I did it back then too. So yeah, that's kind of my, my general background and then started Magnolia Firm just like about 15, 16 months ago. And it's, it's been a fun ride. And I was going to keep, I always wanted to own a boutique M&A firm. That was kind of like my retirement plan down the road, just boutique, small. The spa had two locations, 37 employees. Like I'm kind of like, I always want to go big. I always want to be like the number one, whatever business I'm in. And I've done a bunch of different ones, luxury car rental, house cleaning, what else? Uh, Christmas tree business, a social media firm, software company, SaaS. That was the hardest one. That was the most recent. So yeah, it's just, again, it's been like an incredible ride and learned a ton along the way. Now I get to help other people sell their businesses. Awesome. So 
kind of like the preliminary topic in conversation today, all the satisfaction of selling your physical therapy business minus the stress. So what are some for your clients and, and folks that you work with on the exit on the sell side, what are some either the situation that they're in where they're already stressed when they're first meeting you or the process is stressful? And how do you maybe initially at a high level kind of either deconstruct the process, lay out the expectations? How do you assist a lot of your clients that are looking to sell some or all their practice or sell some or all their business? How do you help with minimizing or decreasing the stress around this whole process? Yeah, great question. And again, my background is service industry. So, so I can speak to your audience. I'm always a fan of service, B2C. So the stress of people, you know, and so I have experience in selling, you know, brick and mortar and those types of businesses. I know we do digital now, but always to help give advice for other types of businesses. They don't come to me stressed. They come to me very like not knowing anything. You know, where do I start? I don't think it's a sense of stress. It's a sense of not knowing, right? So they probably don't have anything to get stressed about quite yet. So they find out the process. They've never sold a business typically. And it's rare that they have any friends that have. So they have no clue about the process, right? So then they're calling us and other advisors to kind of learn from scratch. Then it probably sounds stressful, right? It's like... You know, we make it as easy as possible. Like we'd say, without the stress, we're handholding, we're boutique. They have all of our cell phone numbers, right? So they can call, text anytime, even myself personally, holidays, weekends, I don't care. Yeah, I love the saying, deals don't sleep. It's true. So they never sleep. So even Christmas day, I was, you know, kind of dealing with some deals. So yeah, I think the stress comes after the fact. The stress might come in the transaction, especially close to the finish line. Again, as much as we can, you know, take the stress away, we've got a big one closing this month. It's SBA loan. It's got some interesting situation and both buyer and seller is getting very emotional and stressed because we're almost at the finish line. So me and my business, I brought on a business partner a few months ago. He's amazing. He's working with them today. Like I see him on the phone <laughs> between the two of them and it's therapy, right? We're, we're, it comes to the point where once it's under transaction, we call, we're the therapists, right? We're just calming them down. We're moving the transaction as fast as we can. So yeah, I mean, it's a big process. And I think the stress comes the closer because we're handholding most of the process. And we're very organized. So we're doing most of the work for them. There should not be stress at all. Not even during the pitching when they're meeting potential buyer. It's not stressful because we prep them. How about more frustration or I guess stress when it drags along to like, if there's deal fatigue and if it drags on too long, either from maybe less about, cause you have so much experience. So you probably are supporting your business owners a lot more than maybe if they had a, another professional or, or they were going at it alone. Are those some of the challenges with stress? If a deal or a negotiation lasts too long, or maybe the, the negotiation terms are changed as you get you know closer and closer to the potential closing date. I'm glad you brought up deal fatigue and I'm glad you brought up retrading, which that's what it is. You're in the transaction. So we give so many, we give so much due diligence up front, an insane amount of data in the data room. Pretty much not the tax returns, not the bank statements. Other than that, they've got everything to write a very comfortable LOI, right? Confident. I tell them that too. Like it needs to be your highest and best offer. It needs to be, you need to be very confident. They're just deposit put down. Of course, it's still non-binding. They could back out. I've never had a retrade. 
if it even got to that point, I will straight up to, I don't, I don't take bluffs very well. And so I, I hold strong on that. I've never had that. I've never had somebody try that yet. I think they know I wouldn't allow it, but uh, I would say no in a heartbeat. And I won't even let my seller even contemplate a retrade unless there's a genuine something, maybe the sales decreased, but, but I we're pushing our seller to just put the pedal on. Like they got to keep growing. That's all we care about. We're trying to do everything else. They need to keep growing. We're going to leave them alone. I guess if the decrease during transaction, but we move fast. So we've had one person put an LOI in the morning, close within 24 hours. We've closed two deals within 22 days. This one's a big one. And um, we are going to close with SBA. It's going to be a seven week from offer to close, which is like crazy because SBA could take three months. So yeah, the retrade and then not allowed and then deal fatigue. I've ran a bunch of marathons. I don't get fatigued. So, <laughs> and again, it's my job to not let my seller get fatigued and they do, right? So, you know, that I'm, I'm guarding them from that. But anybody listening, and you guys can run your own transaction. Again, I did that. There's no rule. It's kind of like a for sale by owner on a house. But just don't, don't get fatigued. Just know you're in it for the long haul. Don't, another advice I would get, because we've had like LOIs fall out. We've not, knock on wood, had a last minute transaction fallout. It's usually buyer's remorse after the LOI. It's usually pretty quick. But then I got to call the seller and they get upset because their heart got set on the deal, heart got set on the buyer. And I'm like, I have to tell them like, hey, it's a real emotional roller coaster. Like, please don't, until the money is in your, wired into your account, do not spend the money in your head, not even in your head. Cause I, it's hard, right? I'm the same way. Just don't, don't look at stuff. Don't imagine what you're going to buy because if it, God forbid, it falls out, it's just more devastation. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. We'll come back in a second to some of the potential stressors of this whole dynamic. Let's define a few terms. So there's practice owners, there's business owners that can go at it alone. The practice owner that we're working with, right, or that we're transacting with and, you know, going through this, this deal right now, this individual is using his own attorney. There's others listening out there that have gone through deals and they've used a broker or advisor and you guys are an intermediary. What are some of the common terms, definitions, um, anecdotes around some of these terms? Basically, it's an intermediary. Maybe you say is like the umbrella term, a professional that's a specialist that's supporting these individuals through this process. Can we just define some of those terms? Yeah, for sure. So we, yeah, broker has such a bad connotation. I will not use if I'll only use it if I'm talking about the other brokers, right? So I'm either, you know, M&A advisor. Um, a lot of our sellers end up getting acquired. So we're doing M&A. We haven't done a merger yet. And then, yeah, so business intermediary, I'll use that title, lead business intermediary. You know, that's what my team goes by also. Some of them are junior associates. So they might be associates on our team. We have an amazing team. Shout out to our team. So those are the main terms, but essentially they pretty much all do the same. Got it. Some of the things I've seen, and maybe there's a, a part in the market for all of these individuals, but some of the advisors or intermediaries that I've had on the show will already know who are the regional or the national buyers out there. They have their emails, their phone numbers, like you said, their cell phone numbers versus some of the other advisors or brokers where they list this anonymous deal on their website and the business owner has to pay like a marketing fee, a listing fee. Yeah. They create a SIM and and all that type of stuff. And they prepare some of the financials. 
but it seems like there's a some of the differentiation that I, at least I'm seeing, and I would love for you to clarify, but on the broker or advisor side or intermediary side is like you said, you're a little bit more on the boutique side. So I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you already know a lot of the regional or national buyers, or you'll reach out to those individuals based on the potential new client. And you might even have some of that research done before you agree to take on that next client, that next uh, seller out there versus the, some of these other brokers or broker websites or networks of brokers where the deal is listed anonymously on a public website, or you have to opt in and write your information down as a buyer and submit that. And then they kind of qualify you. It's just like a little bit of a different experience, it seems like. So how can we kind of clarify those different avenues for sellers out there? No, great question. So we do charge and we're expensive. I tell people straight up, we're going to get probably above asking multiples. And that's what we're doing. Again, it's a seller's market right now, right? So it's a little easier. We're going to fight for every penny on the on the table. I am especially. <laughs> and I think a lot of, again, other brokers, not to piss them off, but they'll underprice it on purpose or they'll take the price down, convince the seller to do that while it's on the market just to get it done quick, right? They just want a commission check and it doesn't affect their, their price. My first little company I sold was for six figures. I remember when I sell that. Like three, that one was 280 cash. But my broker at the time was like, Hey, Christine, let's go, you know, to 230. I'm like, Jeff, that's a $50,000 difference for me. That's only a $5,000 difference for you, right? On your commission. It was so frustrating. And I didn't, right? I didn't do that. And so it's unfortunate that happens a lot. I won't be able to sleep at night. I push hard. And even the sellers like Christine lay off because I'll counter a couple of times. And they're like, it's fine. It's fine. And I'm like, no, I know there's anybody on table. I can't sleep at night. So again, we're pricey. We do charge a marketing and setup fee that upfront and that's guaranteed. It goes against our success fee at the end of the day. And then it's also, I'll give it back to the person if we don't sell the company within 12 months. So that's just, that helps out because we do a lot of work up front. When you mentioned SIM, you know, this isn't, we do a memorandum that's multiple pages long with the Q&A. We do an interview with our seller, which is working out really well, where I'm asking them all the questions in a video that a buyer is going to ask them, right? Because we were pitching online. They're just repeating themselves over and over and over. So again, that's in the data room for the qualified potential buyers, um, all the financials, et cetera. So we're putting, instead of a, we do the sim, we also do a gorgeous like slide deck. People are visual. Why are people doing decks for raising capital? But they're not when they sell their company. When I sold my spa, I did one. And I'm without a doubt, I know that's what sold it. I sat with the potential buyers in my office downstairs from the spa on a Sunday, went through that deck with them. They're pretty much sold. And then they went and saw the spa. But um, yeah, so that's the way we do things. And again, there might be some, you know, everybody charges differently across the board, how they're going to structure the rate fee. But on majority, they're not going to take an upfront fee, which again, and we're going to list you on our website, of course, a bunch of external websites. And then we're going to grab that. So we would not go get strategics lined up. We wouldn't pull that data until we sign an engagement agreement with the clients because that's a lot of work. I'm going to get a list from them first on possible strategics because they have a list typically, they know. And then we do it, we reach out confidentially, you know, confidentially. And then we're hitting, we're doing pulling a database and we pay for those databases a lot of times to find a strategic because again, a lot of these, we go after strategics first. That's usually who's going to, the types of listings we have, that's what it's typically going to be. 
Got it. And are there any specific industries or niches where you guys will only accept new businesses or sellers right now? In the pre-interview, you mentioned brick and mortar, just in California only. And then I'm a, so then if it's digital, maybe across the country, like who would be your ideal client or business owner to reach out? And do you service some of the health and wellness in the, the healthcare worlds? Yeah. So we're doing strictly all digital remote-based businesses globally. So we have clients in other countries, which is fun. That's our wheelhouse. That's our specialty. I was doing brick and mortar in the beginning. Those are a little more difficult. They don't fetch as high of multiples. Again, everybody, you know, and everybody listening obviously has a brick and mortar service business. We do a really fun, and I know Dave can put in the show notes, we do an M&A forum and it's free. It's the last Wednesday of every month. And that's where we bring on buyers and sellers collectively and just like ask questions because a lot of people have the same questions, right? So it's just kind of free advice about the process, creative financing. And I kind of speak on both sides, right? Because I do have experience, you know, mostly we deal with sellers, but we will also, you know, handhold a buyer because usually they're unrepresented. But yeah, that's what we're currently, that's our wheelhouse. But otherwise, anybody can reach out. And I have a network of amazing, you know, advisors in other states that can, yeah, but you have to be licensed in the state to do brick and mortar. Right, right. So the you mentioned the forum. Is that the the rapid acquisition club that you previously mentioned, or is that those are two different things? Yeah, two different things. So rapid acquisition would be it's kind of like Shark Tank style. You come on, you know, seller pays a fee just to, just to come on. So we're not representing them, right? And then a buyer, we got a bunch of buyers on there that are looking to acquire businesses. I think the odds might be a little slim of like, okay, in brick and mortar, you're going to have to be in New York, right? The business. So, you know, I don't know if that would work as well because our database is huge and it's everybody's waiting for digital digital businesses right now in our database. And what types of digital businesses like SaaS or software and what other types of business models and, and businesses do you guys currently represent or have recently? Yeah, the magical, you know, criteria that we see is everybody wants a business that's remote-based, of course, US-based also recurring revenue. Like my spa, we were one of the first to have recurring and my mentor, who's amazing, told me that like, you need memberships, you need the recurring revenue from day one. We had monthly memberships and we had annual and 30% of my revenue was recurring. And that's why we got such a high multiple above average on my spa. And you guys, physical therapists, could you guys do something similar essentially, or it's, it's more short-term, right? It definitely is episodic, but there's more of these like stretch places popping up. And like one of the examples, there's a practice owner in Delaware and he's like, now he's got three locations of physical therapy, Steven Rapicelli, three locations of traditional physical therapy. And now he's opening up other locations that I think is called stretch plex. And it's just like the stretch, you know, it's not a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. So it's private pay. And I'm assuming he's probably got some monthly recurring memberships as well as maybe some higher price, but like a la carte type menu, maybe both or one or the other. But physical therapists could absolutely offer that if they had like personal trainers or massage therapists offer it. And then as well as they could certainly hire massage therapists and, and have some type of like a massage or health and wellness membership. Not many do it. They just really focus on the the core physical therapy offering. But more and more places I'm seeing across the country are offering, have you seen like the compression boots, like the Normatec compression boots with like the pneumatic pressure and things like that. So there's memberships for that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of practices doing that more and more on the wellness side now. And we, we had an infrared, again, this is 2012. Like this stuff was 
cutting edge back then, infrared saunas. So we had memberships on those, you know, we did facials, massage, green juice, cleanses, obviously. And so some cool modalities. I mean, everybody, the stretch, those places are popping up everywhere. Uh, insane. And I've, I've gone and they do all have memberships, right? So that's recurring revenue. I'm curious to see if the economy shifts, how those do, right? Are people going to continue paying to get stretched? Or are they going to try to stretch at home on their own? I mean, I think time will tell. But if, again, I think you guys have kind of the platform to add that service so easily. And just so you know, the one I went to, it's a franchise. It was great. But yeah, it was pricey. And these were college students studying kinesiology, right? Because I'd always talk to them. So I mean, get some college students in there, right? To offer this service. And it's great learning for them. And it's recurring revenue. So back to the businesses that do really well. Um, SaaS, of course. Any type of integration, you know, a couple and people could look at our website. You're going to see all the current deals and you're going to see all the ones we've sold. So software companies that are doing integrations like HubSpot, Salesforce with these large companies, Zendesk. Those are more one-off projects. So they had some recurring revenue, maybe 30 or 50% of the revenue. And then the difference was project-based. So, so that's fine too. Just getting as much recurring as you can. We'll bump that multiple up. I was just thinking of uh, my podcast guy, uh, Nathan Navas, because I pay him a monthly recurring fee and he edits and makes my digital assets and thumbnails and publishes it online, all that. So that potential, I don't know, but you know, if, I mean, he's young and he's not looking to, you know, exit, but it is, I'm assuming all of his clients probably pay like a monthly retainer or a monthly fee for those services. So that like is purely, uh, I don't know, it's not a software as a service, but it's a recurring business like you know in terms of like defining some of those no, Dave, yeah and i'm glad you brought that up because you probably have physical therapists you know watching that are just they're it's their client list they're the person the business is wrapped around them they gotta that's the other thing you gotta get out of that business you gotta work your way out of a job you need to hire somebody you need to you know have sops in place you know standard operating procedures or a playbook whatever you want to call it so that people can follow it. There's a system in place processes because yeah, it's very difficult, if not impossible to we've taken these people on where they have a team, but the business is still wrapped around them. So we're trying to strip the owner out. I think 10 hours a week is kind of, you know, people coming in understand like the owner is not going to be a hundred percent hands off. You know, they still might oversee things, oversee the team, maybe do payroll, maybe still do marketing and sales because that's what they enjoy doing, but just stripping out them, right? Because it's going to be very, unless somebody acquires them for their client list, but again, some of those clients might leave because they were so attached to the practitioner. And then these owners in almost any area of business, like then the value or the offer is typically higher and the value of the business is usually higher if the individual is somewhat out of producing the revenue, if they're like working on the business and not working in the business. Exactly. And I did some tuck-ins, right? A roll-up is like, you're kind of like buying a bunch of spas and you're putting them together. I did some tuck-ins where it was like sole proprietor. I just want the client list. I want their equipment. Got incredible deals because they were burned out. So anybody burned out, and I know you're working on, you know, kind of building your own portfolio and putting some together. People listening, please don't be, don't wait until you're burned out to sell because it will be really rough. You're going to deal fatigue <laughs> day one, deal fatigue, right? So please don't wait until that moment, right? Think it out. But, you know, these, these women were 
so burned out. I just grabbed the businesses really quickly, you know, tucked them under. They were sole proprietors. But again, I just wanted to pay for the client list. And then, yeah, so that worked out. <laughs> was there any particular reason why you got out of the the two location spot at that point where I think you started it and exited within five years? And many of the practice owners listening have been owning and, and managing and operating their practice for 10, 15, 20 years or more in some cases. So like, was there a reason like you got the energy or the idea for the next thing and you were ready to exit and maybe you thought it would be the best time to exit? Like what made you pursue that instead of just like retaining it and holding it and growing it to the third, fourth, fifth location? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought those up. Those are two good ones too. How long you've had the company, the longer, the better for a buyer, right? Longevity of your team. Do they stick around? Do you have a strong manager in place? Do you have a lot of turnover? Those are other components. So there's so many, it's such an art and science to evaluate a business. I don't, of course, we're going to use that net profit as kind of a baseline multiple, but then, and we're creating a formula now of like, what are the point, you know, how much can we add on reputation? Reputation's huge. I would say that's number one backing up. <laughs> like, well, I, so like online and offline reputation? online mostly, because that's what people are looking at these days. That's immediately, they're looking at Yelp, they're looking at Google. To me, that was Nabar would like every company I own, that's number one. Cleaning, if I have to comp out cleanings, I would. If I had to comp massages, I would. If I if the client was not super happy, right? It was kind of this Nordstrom service that we use. It's funny, I have Gen Z that work with me now and they're like, well, Nordstrom is such an old term. Don't use it anymore for customer service. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm dating dating the situation. But number one by far, when we take a seller on, we need, I'm scoping the freaking comments on their social media. Are they people pissed off? Are they, you know, is the owner responding in an appropriate manner? I mean, you can't fix a bad reputation on a business. It is extremely hard. We would not touch a listing that had a bad reputation. We've seen some bad ones recently. <laughs> and then same with me. I wouldn't acquire a business that had a bad rep. It'd be too hard. Again, unless I'm tucking them into ours, it doesn't matter, right? Because we're using our name, not their name. We'd, right. we'd take their name off completely. For me, I have this five-year... I don't know why it is because I never have an exit strategy. I never do. I just kind of intuitively feel it out. You know, My rule is when I'm bored and I'm just like not waking up before my alarm anymore. I'm not excited to go to my office. And the last hat I always wear is the marketing hat, which I love. Sales and marketing. But again, it's not fair to my team if I'm just kind of getting over it or my clients or anything. It's just always this five-year mark. Even my cleaning company, I don't know what it is. And then I'm already dovetailed into the next venture. So then I'm like parallel entrepreneur is what it's called. I don't do two startups at the same time. That's absolutely insanity. I've tried it once, but I'm, I'm dovetailed in the next venture already because I'm excited about it. And then I'm continuing to grow the startup. But again, I'm so far removed that I'm not really needed as much anymore. And then, and I remember they, I took a month off to Europe with the spa. This towards the end. And it was, and I love sales and I love breaking records and they broke a hundred K, which is a big, you know, monthly revenue. That's a big, big, you know, it's a goal we work towards and they broke it. And like, I still get chills. And then I wasn't there for the month when they did that. And they never called me and they wanted me, I hadn't taken a vacation in years, right? I was a startup, you know, I was always there. And, and I was sad. <laughs> the person I was traveling with, he's like, this is literally the dream that everybody wants. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sad. I wasn't there and I'm not needed anymore. So then I listed it. Hmm. I was just going to ask you. So if you 
were approached by those buyers or if you approached an advisor or intermediary. So you're saying you listed it. So you went to an advisor or broker or intermediary? The broker. I went to the broker that sold my cleaning company 12 years prior and went to one other one that was referred. And they there were the two that said, you won't sell it. We had $170,000 worth of prepaid gift cards and prepaid services, annual memberships, whatnot. And they said, you'll never sell it. You don't. And I was like, why does that matter? Like we would just deduct that off the purchase price, right? Like it's not sitting in a savings account. No business owner would do that. They use it for the cash flow. And then on the exit, we take it off. They're like, you're not going to sell your company at all, or you're not going to sell for half what you want, et cetera, et cetera. So I bailed out of that real quick. I'm like, I'll do it on my own then, like I've done the other ones. And I biz buy sell. So everybody listening and watching, that's a great platform. It's a couple hundred bucks, throw it on there. But most people on there are individual sellers anyways, brick and mortar. So you put your city in. I just met with my rep for coffee this morning. I told her they need like a filter for a remote and they don't have it. So for remote based business, you would think they would have it. Wow. I know. So we just moved some of our remote ones over to New York and over to LA because there's more people looking because some of them are based in little cities and we'll, we'll switch them. And she's, she's going to talk. So I know software. I know how genius, hard it is. Genius. It's a 25 year old platform. She's like, woof, let's try to get engineering on it. Great idea. They're working on it. But I was like, she's like, it's such a dated platform and she works there. And she's like, it's 25 years old. And I'm like, you literally would have to tear the whole thing down and start over. Like, I know that. And I'm sure that they don't want to do that. So, you know, that's, I like the platform. I think it's easy to use. We use it. So we put, Again, we use about 10 different platforms for inbound. So we're getting inbound leads and also we're reaching out. Got it. Wow. Going back to the the potential stress components, how much do you think is from like the way that you're able to help your clients, your sellers minimize stress, anxiety? Is a lot of it from your experience on the buying and selling like the business side and now as the the boutique intermediary side of things, like having the experience almost like on both sides of the table, how much of that kind of goes into your team's ability and, and your confidence to minimize like the stress, the anxiety, the the apprehension or the unknown, like the, the, the areas that these sellers don't even know about? How much is that going back to your experience, your team, your knowledge versus any other components of it? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I'm very confident, A. So I think that gives confidence to my seller, right? On the process. And I'm very transparent up front on what to expect. And I just, I don't get upset. I'm very calm because again, I just know what to expect. I'm like, this doesn't surprise me. If I think, you know, the one that was the recent one that was, that was priced high was I thought that appraisal might come. So on my spa, the SBA appraisal came in about 30% under, because again, I, I had it priced high because I didn't know I'd get, you know, asking price. I thought they'd negotiate down. And so the appraisal came in lower. So SBA is like, we're just going to finance 80% of it. So I told my seller right to his face, I had to tell him like, you got to come up with the difference, the 20% difference, you know? And he did, and I was super confident about that. When I asked, you know, there's a poker face of the century. <laughs> there was just this like quietness when I had to say it to his face of just like wait for him to answer. So yeah, just prepping the sellers, you know, telling him, take a breath. <laughs> That's the reason why I'm like, take a deep breath. It's going to be fine. You know, I mailed him and his son, five year old, we're playing around with like these 
you know, temporary tattoos. He was telling me the story. And so I mailed, you know, his purchase price <laughs> to these temporary tattoos. And I mailed them this week to him of his, of the amount of money he's about to get. Cause he's getting stressed out. And I'm like, look how much money you're going to have in a second. Like, cool. That's fine. So he was laughing today. He's like, I got the tattoos in the mail. It was funny. So just make it fun. Make it fun. We laugh. People, you know, hey, can I be candid with you? You know, there's cuss words happening. He's from the South. And we just crack up. Like, we're very laid back, new age. Nothing's going to really, you know, ruffle my feathers. And my team would always tell me that. They're like, wow. Like, there was some crazy stuff happening at the spa. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, it's just... (laughs) My father was that way. He had a business and he never got stressed. I've never seen him stressed. Even the times he probably should have been stressed with the IRS chasing him down. And he just thought it was funny. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I grew up with that kind of mentality. And then my business partner, Khaled, shout out to him. I mean, he's even better than I am calming people down. Very high IQ for sure. And very high EQ. So you just really kind of human to human will talk to them, calm them down. Again, I was in the room with him yesterday and, and I just didn't say a word because he's so good at it. And he's like, let me handle this. I got it. That's awesome. Let me ask you a question in terms of the digital side. So the dis- digital businesses that you represent, uh, there's a physical therapist, uh, Tony Maritato. He's been on the show a couple of times. He's based in Ohio and he does a ton of stuff online. He has multiple YouTube channels. Some are physical therapists or PTOT, SLP. So physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech language pathologist facing. And then he also has some like patient facing assets as well. So he's got YouTube channels and he's got some Facebook groups. Like one is a total knee replacement support group on Facebook. Have you represented or transacted any of those digital assets where those were the main part of the, like that was the business or only when they're like a a piece of someone's business or maybe not at all. Yeah. I have, you could sell Facebook groups, which is rad. I haven't done a transaction yet. So you can sell your social media assets, especially like a private community. It's very active. You know, you could get some cash for that as a lot depends on the community. You know, it could be anywhere from five grand to 20 grand I've seen. So that's kind of rad. If he's the face again of the online marketing or the courses, the videos, again, he's going to want to kind of remove himself from that because it's like, and or stay on or stay on. So somebody partners with him in some capacity and then he stays on. Yeah. But that's great. That's, you know, those are great margins for somebody, right? Yeah. I think his total new replacement support group, I think it's like 25,000 members. Like it's pretty sizable and, People, you know, so he monetizes it via YouTube videos, YouTube monetization of of the ads. And then he also has like, he'll post like common, you know, like shoes and like other like equipment and things like that people can use and people that people buy at home to loosen up their knee replacement, like in between their physical therapy sessions. And then he'll partly monetize, even though it's, I think, you know, a work in progress, but monetizes it with the Amazon affiliate links. So if they click on that link, if they buy his product or something that he's sharing, he gets a little bit of it. But then also if they, two hours later, they buy like, I don't know, like a thousand dollar bed or something on Amazon, he actually gets a piece of that too. It's like a 24 hour window. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but it's like you can monetize and, and people are buying other things on Amazon and the Amazon affiliate, I don't, I don't have one, but he suggests a lot of physical therapists to do so because 
we're recommending products and things all the time. You know, it could be a, an ice pack. It could be mm-hmm. some, you know, cushion or pillow or, or something, or some of those like low shoes with like a minimal, like the minimalist heel or whatever. Anyway, we're getting in the weeds here, but <laughs> just no, talking I about like the digital monetization. Yeah. Not just digitally, but what about people? Does he have a private practice also or not? So he does. He has two locations in Ohio. Okay. So I wonder if he does to his list, like, or to somebody that came in a follow-up email with the, Hey, this is stuff I recommended. And it does it going to his Amazon, you know, affiliate link. Do you know? I'm sure he does. I know he's not huge into email marketing, but I'm sure he shares it one way or the other with his folks, with his actual like in-person patients. Okay. And I'm so big. I know we talked before you hit record. I'm just really big on trying to give value to everybody that's, you know, listening. Of course, I can tell my crazy stories, but I want, you know, I want people to take notes and learn stuff. Running ads on YouTube is number one over Instagram, over Facebook, over everything else is very expensive. And you could do some really great results and it's still really cheap to do ads on YouTube. Number one. Number two, love this, you know, Amazon affiliate link situation because that he could sell it business, right? That's rad. Like he could easily sell that part because he's not the face of it necessarily. So that's cool. Yeah. So I, I, email marketing is my third and last tip on this part is please everybody it's free. Like it just takes time. And at the spa we were doing, um, we use my body software, online software, and I was doing them weekly and again, we got better results back then. I know email inboxes get like cluttered. Um, text messaging too is working really well. If you have permission to text them, just don't do it more than once a month. So I did weekly. I had my list segmented. It was crazy, but we made us so much money. I had a list would segment based on massages, based on if they came in for a clinic. So my each email would target every time, you know, obviously for me, but would target such a specific list with an offer. So email marketing for everybody, please do it. (laughs) Now, back when you had the spa, did you have someone internally that knew all that? Did you do that? Did you outsource the building out of the, like the copywriting building out of kind of like the funnel, the, the email sequence of like offers and, you know, countdown timers or or things like that. Did you do that? Did you outsource it? (laughs) I love marketing. I did it till the very end. I'd spent a lot of time. They could take me a day to write all of them. I'm a copywriter. And I did the timers. I did every little trick in the book. I'm in a marketing mastermind. I've been in for over a decade. So I'm into that. That was like the thing I wouldn't give up. I'm in my now Magnolia firm and even my software company, Lauren, who's been on my team for five years, incredible copywriter, beats me out of the way. And now she, she started as a marketing intern five years ago. And now she's way better than me. So she, she does the first draft always. And then I come in and just kind of add and tweak and, but she's incredible. So shout out to her. <laughs> That's awesome. So really appreciate your time, Christine. Any like follow any, um, any closing thoughts on the component of selling some or all of your business? It could be, I know you're a little bit more on the digital side, but you guys are also doing brick and mortars as well in California. So for practice owners, business owners out there, whether it's the uh, communication style, selecting the right broker, advisor, or intermediary, what are some, any final thoughts, closing remarks, anything around this whole process so that they can minimize stress, they can minimize any fear of the unknown? Yeah, I mean, follow the Magnolia Firm on any social channel, YouTube, we're on all of them, Instagram. 
and LinkedIn for tips and tricks that we're always trying to give sellers on the exit strategy. You know, the ones that come to us are like, I wanted to sell yesterday. So we, and again, there our clientele is younger, anywhere from 23 to 47 right now on selling a company, which is crazy. That's who we attract. So they're like in a hurry. So we don't do exit planning necessarily. It might be something we offer in the near future, but I would say the bit, so look at our socials. I'd say again, for people like thinking about exiting, not ready yet, reputation, number one, get yourself out of that business. Don't let it be wrapped around you anymore. So work your way out. That takes a little time. And then recurring revenue of any sorts. Those would be like my big ones to concentrate on for you guys and reach out. You know, I'm great on LinkedIn. Like as far as messaging me, that's the best way to reach out is um through LinkedIn. So connect there. Excellent. And check out the magnoliafirm.co. Is that the best place for the audience to reach out to you in terms of connecting or LinkedIn or email or anything like that? LinkedIn for sure, without a doubt. Yeah. And, and they can reach out through the website. My team will see it and can handle stuff too. They're they're great at that. Excellent. Well, Christine, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And this was definitely and will be definitely helpful for practice owners and business owners out there in the healthcare world, health and wellness world. Awesome. Okay, Dave, thanks again for having me on. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N. C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com, or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.